Niles, is it true that you're in love with that servant girl, Daphne? Fraser crossed his legs and took a sip of a fine 1997 Bordeaux blend. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I love more than Fraser fan fiction, Liz? What do you love more than Frasier fanfiction, Kate? Um, comedians deeply obsessing and analyzing uh, Frasier. I really like the sort of meta-analyzing that happens there, like a show about a guy who's analyzing a bunch of people in Seattle being analyzed by a comedian in New York. <laughs> I just really, I like it a lot. <laughs> if you're wondering what we're talking about, we're talking about I'm Listening with Anita Flores, which is a podcast that uh, shares the More Banana Network with us. It's hosted by Anita Flores. She's had on comedy writers such as Josh. Gondelman and Anthony Oliviera. You can find I'm Listening, a Frasier podcast with Anita Flores at morebanana.com and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can try to call in with questions or suggestions, but we find it's hard to get past Roz. <laughs> Buffy and Frodo were in the Hogwarts library late into the night, prepping for the final trek into Mordor. Liz, I have to stop you. Why? Because this already sounds like the greatest story of all time. World Stealers! <laughs> Hi everyone, this is... World Stealers! <laughs> Hello, I'm Maggie Smith's character in Downton Abbey, whose name I can't remember at this very moment. The Duchess something. The, the, the Duchess, Duchess of Teacups. Abbeys. <laughs> anyway, I thought I would come and tell you what Liz and Kate were up to. They're currently hard at work picking a fandom in a genre and then reading an original fan fiction set in that world. I don't myself know what fan fiction is. It didn't exist during the time of the Titanic. We also, they also, not we, I'm Maggie Smith. They spend time recording the writing process and talk about it. And that's that they bring they bring it to you, dear listener. I don't understand this contraption that you're listening on. What's an iPhone? I'm the Duchess of Teacups and Abbeys. <laughs> wow, thanks, Maggie Smith. Wow, for Maggie being Smith. Here. We really needed someone to like wrap together what we do here. And that's you really did perfect. It. You nailed it. Despite any experience in <laughs> in the field. Of Godric Gryffindor has commanded the respect of the wizard world for nearly ten centuries. I will not have you in the course of a single evening besmirching that name by behaving like a babbling, bumbling band of baboons. Babbling, bumbling band of baboons. Babbling, bumbling band of baboons. For the fan fiction this week, while it is important to know about the original Harry Potter books, since Draco Malfoy, our Slytherin nemesis of the notorious Harry P, is the main character in Liz's story this week, we are actually leaving the world of Harry Potter behind for Ilvermorny. It's the Murka version of a wizarding school. Ilvermorny is located in Massachusetts and was founded by an Irish witch, Irish, and a witch from Ireland, and a nomadge, which is what we Americans call muggles. In this episode, we will go into a lot of detail about the history of Ilvermorny, the school of witchcraft and wizardry. So if you don't know a lot, it's cool, we cover it. But the basics are, it was created before the colonial revolution. It is a castle made of granite, and it is known as the most democratic school. Do I think Benjamin Franklin was a part-time wizard professor? I don't not think that. Uh, hi, Liz. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. I just want 
to point out uh-huh. for all of our listeners who can't see me, uh-huh. I'm wearing all my Harry Potter swag right now. I noticed that when you came in today. I was like, wow, she's really representing. Yeah. You've got your um, uh, Marauder's Map. My Marauder's Map slash feminism shirt. Exactly. It says that I solemnly swear to smash the patriarchy. Right. I see you have a wand. I do. This is Hermione's wand of specifically. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, that, that's it. That's all my Harry that's Potter swag. Um, I'm, I'm wearing Gryffindor socks. Look. Ooh. You can't really see the... The, but the lion is on the top. They're Gryffindor socks. That's amazing. Because I have every house <laughs> as socks. So I, we both brought it. We did. We really brought it today. Mm-hmm. We're doing a great job. We're so doing- you're all welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, how was it for you? Because we both wrote really, really long um, stories for this, I think, because partially because we just wanted to do it right. Yes. And also because it was so fun. It was so fun. So I we talked a little bit earlier about um, mm-hmm. my difficulty writing Harry Potter at all. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and, and this is just true of me writing in general that I, I build up this like thing that's going to happen in my mind to the point that I, I am paralyzed with fear and can't write it at all. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely did that hard with this because it's, it's difficult to write as part of a franchise that you loved as yeah. a kid and like sort of hero worshiped the author of. Yeah, that's um, true. Cause you're kind of like putting yourself with them. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I don't deserve this world. Ooh, um, yeah. But after, once I started, I just had so much fun. Um, I think I made it a little easier on myself by writing Ilver Morney mm-hmm. so that I ended up only the only familiar character um, is, uh, Draco. Okay. Um, I originally was going to do a couple of Hogwarts students and then I just, it was too much. It was to like <laughs> weave them all into the story. Yeah. It would have been like, it's already like a 17 page fanfic. It would have right, been right. like 50 to a hundred. It would have been as a novella. Yes. <laughs> if not a novel. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really fun doing the Ilver Morning research was was really fun. Cool. Um, and then getting to make up. It was actually one of the difficulties I had was that resisting the temptation to just world build and world build yeah. and world build yeah. and realizing that you it's it's hard. Short stories are a really difficult format because you can't do that. Right. Um so that was that was tough for me. Cool. Um, what is the title of your story? Does it have a title? Oh, it never has a title. Kate. You famously I don't title them. Everything I have is untitled. Oh, maybe this would be um, like a chance for fan submissions. Like they can help title them oh, for I us. Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although before we get into the story, I do want to talk a little bit about what I came across in my Ilver Morning of research. Of course. Um, yes. The best wizarding school in the world is Hogwarts. Hogwash. This has sort of been talked about, and I just thought it was important to address because I wrote my story in the world of North American wizardry that J.K. Rowling had created, taking some liberties, obviously. I mean, in the actual canon of Harry Potter, Draco does not spend a year at Ilvermorny. And right. I decided to do that because, you know, it, in between between Hogwarts and Cursed Child, mm-hmm. he does go through a, a pretty big transition. And part yeah. of that has to do with marrying Astoria Greengrass and, and having a son. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to put him into a school that Rowling has created that is is famously egalitarian when it comes to relationships between pureblood wizards and, um, you know, muggle-born wizards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that would be sort of an interesting place to land so for someone who was going through this transition of like maybe I shouldn't care so much about this stuff yeah. in a place where no one does. Yeah. Um one of the of course, you know, doing any sort of Ilvermorty research, you come across a lot of criticism that JK Rowling has received for the way that she um tells the story of the the founding story and also the way that she treats the North American um sorry, not North American, the uh indigenous lore. Okay. That so she, like the Native American yeah, lore. Yeah. Um 
So American indigenous people, obviously there is a, a fraught history there. Um, and, and one of the things that I hadn't thought that much about, or really, I think I, I think I knew this, but it didn't strike me as uh, something that was terribly relevant to this world until I, I read a, a critique that talked about how, so the, the houses that uh, J.K. Rowling uses for Ilvermorny, Pukwudgie, uh-huh. Thunderbird, uh-huh. Uh, Wampus, Cat, and what am I missing? Oh, Horned Serpent. There's only four? There are four, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and so they're problematic in a couple of ways. In, uh, one thing is that the founders of Ilvermorny are white. One is a, a white Irish woman. Okay. Um, who was, you know, fleeing her abusive aunt, which is a cute, cool story. Cool. Okay. Um, she's actually a descendant of Slytherin. Uh, Salazar, Salazar oh, Slytherin. She is a direct descendant of him. So that's kind of an interesting Hogwarts connection. And I talk okay. about that a little bit in my story. Um, okay. The other one is a, a, a muggle, which is one of the reasons Ilvermorning is, is famously egalitarian in that regard. Okay. It was actually founded by a, a witch and a muggle okay. who got married. Um, and it was, you know, they adopted these two sons who are also white and also English. Okay. Uh, so it's okay. like all of these colonists. Um, yeah. In a, in the new world. Right. right. And, and so first, so despite this like rich heritage of native American magic that JK Rowling claims to pay, be paying homage to the fact is that like white people came and set up a school and then suddenly like, Oh, there was right. And they like learned to, and they appropriated yeah, the culture that, that was around them. And yeah. They, you know, they, they introduced the wand and, and until then, you know, witches and wizards in native American tribes were, did wandless magic, which has made them, you know, better at certain things. And it's, it's very detailed, but the other problematic thing is that, um, the houses themselves are are named for creatures that are part of Native American traditions. I think uh-huh. the Pukwaji is a, a Wampanoag um, creature. I'm not sure actually which tribes all of them come from specifically, but they're all sort of from different tribes and, and part of different lores. And she, she ties them into the wizarding world, which is understandable. She's right. sort of creating a cohesive universe. But at the same time, the things that they represent are not true to what those creatures represent in Oh, interesting. Um, in okay. Native American lore. She just sort of took the thing and then like made it a different thing without really. Right, 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 right. You don't get the sense that she really understood um, or was terribly respectful of what those things represented in Native American culture, yeah. which is sort of a double whammy because, um, sorry, I'm going on a long tirade here. but No, 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 it's okay. Um, Native Americans were not allowed to practice their religion, their Native yeah. religions yeah, yeah, until... Yeah. I think it was President Carter mm-hmm. under under Carter. I, I might be wrong about this. I should I should look this up again. So this is this is a um, a critique from a Native American writer named uh, Laura Lee Sepsi. Okay, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, and she says uh, Rowling is cherry picking the myths and stories that she liked without understanding their context, twisting them so that they fit nicely into her own fiction and strategically placing us in the background as characters so that she couldn't be accused of total exclusion. And then it goes on. The article goes on to say, um, you know, we lost so much of our culture through boarding schools, both in the United States and Canada. Sepsi, who is a member of the Big Pine uh, Pai- Paiute, I, I'm so I apologize for my pronunciation of that tribe in California explains that indigenous people in the United States were banned from practicing their traditional religion until 1978 when Jimmy Carter signed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. Um, so it, it was difficult for me because um, it's always difficult to engage with your favorite people being problematic. Sure. Um, yeah. But I, I think we're forced to right now. Yeah, absolutely. Which is fine. I mean, we we should. And I think you and I have sort of gone through this with some of the stuff Tina Fey's done, for example. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what makes J.K. Rowling especially problematic is that she's very, she's not good at answering her critics. Yeah. And she, she is someone who is notably engaged with her fans on yeah. Twitter and, and by email. And, and she's also like outspoken about politics and policy. Yeah. And, yeah. and she really has refused to engage with this um, in the mm. same way that she's really refused to engage with um, hiring... Johnny Depp yeah. to be in Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. To play a big role in Fantastic Beasts. And as someone who has been outspoken on women's issues and in yeah. particular domestic abuse, mm-hmm. that is really difficult. So I, I just wanted to, I don't know, I, I don't have an answer. No, and you would, I mean, you wouldn't. 
yeah. you know, because you're also like a white woman who, yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> um, I, but and I do want to say that I did, I did engage with the world in the way that she had written it, but I wanted to acknowledge that there, there was this problematic origin. Well, you know, what's interesting about that? And I didn't think about it. This is, and this is just a discussion about, um, appropriation of, uh, her appropriation of native American lore. Um, my thought was two things. One that she's British. So her understanding of American history is pretty limited. So it's a little bit like, uh, if you're going to write about something that you don't know about, then maybe get a second opinion. Yeah. Do, do some due diligence. <laughs> Just, also, yeah. Girl, how big do you think America is? We only got one wizarding school. Right. Girl, it's big. It's a big ass. And that wizarding but, school distinctly covers Mexico too. It is. That is Wow. Canon. And I kind of assume Canada as well. It's like the North American wizarding school. That, whoa, JK, girl. come on, girl. Yeah, JK. She doesn't under, mm, sizes. I mean, England is like one school for England. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah, no, this, we get, you know, it's the size of Florida. We'll it's a you, small ass state. England, thing. Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Yeah. You, Still, okay. Fine. One school. Cool. Get yeah. It. One school. Uh, what uh, the, my other thought was that, and I think this is something that she would just be ignorant of because she's of English heritage is that, um, boarding schools were mainly, uh, um, oh, what is it called? Boarding schools were used as a weapon. Yeah, they were particularly a tool of cultural erasure. Of erasure, exactly. I was thinking like cultural, uh, like not genocide, but it's like there's a side, there's a side for it because you're yeah. killing somebody's culture. Um, because yeah, they would take the kids away and send them to boarding schools to westernize them. Yeah, why do you think so, so many white people at boarding schools uh, play lacrosse? So, so having a boarding school at all, right, with Native American culture in it is really intense. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, and I didn't so much get into that in the story. I did. Do they like, play Quidditch at Elvermorning? Of course they play Quidditch at Elvermorning. Obviously, if I'm writing myself into a story, I'm on the Quidditch team. But just but just to put this in perspective, like f- American football was invented invented at Native American boarding schools oh, yeah. because they didn't understand rugby and a variety of other games. So like to not have <laughs> to not have any kind of like field hockey or lacrosse or football American football at a boarding school in North it's just decay. Yeah. It's tough, right? Like there's a lot there's so much to engage with and and you don't ever want to say to mm-hmm. an author like don't take this on. No, I know, but there's a couple history books you could read before you yeah. write. <laughs> before also you write something. I, I get the whole like Salt Sayer story is like a, it's a cool background story and it's yeah. neat that there's that Slytherin connection but like why not have like what it doesn't she get taken like the the the, the stories that she couldn't find any wizards so she becomes friends with a Pukwaji who by the way is a spirit that it like lures humans into the woods and kills them in traditional cool. Native American lore cool, cool. But, like, you couldn't find any other witches or wizards but then once you founded a school like the whole Narragansett tribe is like what up we got witches and wizards. Like, why so couldn't why you have couldn't... engaged with the community and founded a school that way? Like, yeah. it just, it's, a... or if you're going to go like the whole, if you're going to make it like a romantic kind of commercialized story, then have her marry a Native American man. Yeah. And he introduces her to that. Like, it's... that's kind of an exoticism, but like, have her do it, whatever. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, I, my problem is not that she missed the mark because I think, People miss the mark, especially. Sure. And I mean, people. she's from a different country. Yeah. Like she's ignorant of it. You can't be right about everything. Right. I, and I know that I have missed the mark in the past. Sure. In, just in like everyday conversation. But the, the but thing, she has so many resources. Yeah. She has also, access to answer these questions. And she has fans that are like, hey, dude, we love your books. Let us like help us help you. And yeah. she just hasn't really engaged with that. I know, I know, I know, I know. So anyway, I just wanted to have that discussion. I appreciated it. And then go on to set my story in a very problematic world. <laughs> no, Sorry. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I don't think we have to be apologetic for everything that is problematic because uh, then there'd be nothing else to talk about. Yeah. Though to a certain extent, it's good to acknowledge. Yeah. I just, I wanted to acknowledge it particularly because I didn't address it directly in my story and okay that's so, cool that's cool i thank you for that i there appreciate it, it thank you for the preface okay so it makes so me feel long. better <laughs> it's fine i'm gonna edit the fuck out of it excellent and it'll sound like we're so smart yeah <laughs> okay are you ready to shop rakuten's big give week is back 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Till my father hears about this. This is servant stuff. Oh, please. This class is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my father will hear about this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Put me in your Harry Potter world. I want to know. Put me there. Put, mm, here we go. Here we go. Eloise Bragg was late. The late summer sun shone over Ilvermorny Castle as she hurried down the path towards the school's main entrance, wishing she had bothered to put on real shoes. It had been a particularly hot August, and the temptation to wear as little as possible had been overwhelming that morning. After all, in just a day's time, she would be back in her long, heavy school robes and closed-toed shoes, spending the bulk of her days hunkered over cauldrons and books. But still... The hike down the hill from the castle wasn't ideal in rubber Adidas slides, no matter how cool they looked. She sighed and hurried on, her sandals threatening to trip her up with every step. Do they wear uniforms? They do. Okay. This is, so we're starting the day before school has started. Okay, okay, okay. So she's in her muggle clothes. Gotcha. Also a little shout out to the late 90s because I had Adidas Adidas slides. Okay. And you know what? They were not that comfortable. No, they never were. Those little Mm -hmm. nubbly things. No, why? Why? Anywho. (laughs) A boy stood by the gate, looking around awkwardly, and she picked up her pace. Blonde and pale, he was formally dressed in full blue and cranberry wizard's robes, clearly recently purchased. She was momentarily embarrassed at her choice of jean cutoffs and the Spice Girls concert tee that she had cropped herself. She felt better, however, once she noticed the sweat beating at his temples. Brits. They'd rather be polite than comfortable. She approached him with a grin. Hi, I'm Ellie. Eloise Bragg, actually, but please don't call me Eloise. Professor Breckenridge asked me to show you up to the castle. You probably could have made it up yourself, but he thought it would be nice for you to have a guide. As she spoke, she flicked her wand at each piece of his luggage in succession, sending the trunks and bags sailing up the hill towards the castle. The pale boy tracked his trunk's ascent, looking mildly worried. Um, I'm Draco. Just Draco? Like, Madonna? Who? Madonna. She's a nomad singer. Total legend. He looked back blankly at her as she rolled, and she rolled her eyes. Pure bloods. She saw him wince slightly and smiled reassuringly. I'm joking. Anyway, I was just asking if you have a last name. Oh, yeah. Malfoy. He looked away as he spoke, and a lock of white blonde hair, lank and sweaty, fell away from its carefully combed brethren. He pushed it back impatiently. Well, nice to meet you, Draco Malfoy. What house were you in? Draco hesitated, then said quietly, Slytherin. I love. I okay. Mm. Mm. So back home in England, his name is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But here in America, like no, a lot of people maybe don't know who he is. Right. So it's like a fresh start for Draco. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. I love it. I just I caught that and I just wanted to see it out loud. Yes. Okay, okay. Um. He raised his chin defiantly and looked straight at Ellie this time as if daring her to react. Ellie met his eyes, desperately curious to know more about this sullen boy. 
Breckenridge has been, had been reticent about the details of Draco's involvement in the war and had forbidden her from asking questions. But Breckenridge isn't here, she sighed. But he was awaiting their arrival at the castle, and she was already running behind. Maybe this wasn't the time. Instead, she turned up the path to the castle, motioning for him to follow. Slytherin, you're the ambitious guys, right? We don't really have that here. I guess we spread our ambition over all four houses. It'll be cool to see where you go. I'm Thunderbird myself. I could have been Horned Serpent, but at 11, I guess the house known for attracting adventurers seemed a lot more glamorous. Maybe that was a mistake, but whatever. Thunderbirds are cool. Our Quidditch team is going to be bomb this year. Do you guys play? We're looking for a new seeker, but otherwise we've all been together for four years now. Ellie continued on cheerfully, her pace brisk. Draco lagged a few steps behind. Ellie glanced back and saw his face was flushed, though with anger or embarrassment or simply the effort of the steep hill, she couldn't say. They climbed the short flight of steps up to the doors and paused, reluctant to leave the warm morning sun for the inside of the granite walls. The huge marble statues of Assault and James smiled down at them from either side of the great wooden doors, and Draco ran his hand over Assault's foot, shading his eyes to look up at her face. Careful. William will be out for your blood if you leave any smudges. Ellie grinned. Draco snatched his hand back like he'd been burned. Who's William? Our local Pukwudgie. Actually, there's like a whole family, but William is the patriarch. He's ancient. Rumor has it, he's the same William who saved Assault's life back when the school was first founded. Obviously, he'd laugh at you if you ever suggested such a thing, but... She shrugged. He's pretty freaking attached to that statue. So what is it what does this mean a local pugwaji? Is this like these so, are like the mythical creatures. Yeah, so um part of the lore of Ilvermorny is that Assault when she first got to America um saved the life of this pugwaji who was being attacked by a hide behind which is another fantastic beast of North America. Okay. Um and pugwajis who don't normally like humans, they're very grumpy and grumbly and um related in in JK lore to goblins. Okay. Um felt that he owed his life to her so he became her like loyal friend um oh. and she he wouldn't tell her his name because that's a very closely guarded Pukwudgie secret so she named him William after her father oh okay um so they had like a falling out and then he came back and saved her life when her aunt came after her at the school and um then from then on he sort of became he and his family sort of became the like groundskeeper and guards Groundskeepers and guards for that's Ilvermorny. Kind of, that's sweet. I like uh, and so that. now there's an ancient Pukwaji who answers to William, who just wanders around the Ilvermorny oh. uh, school to this day. Who is like, of course, I'm not the same William, but like, uh, okay, okay, maybe he is. I like that. Um, okay, I love how much Ellie is like guiding the story and world building through dialogue. Number one, amazing. I love doing that. I love that tactic. Uh, Draco, the character that we know and love and have such an attachment to, is like very mysterious. And yeah. it's like, I know who Draco is, but I'm like, what is he doing? What is he thinking? Who is this person? Yeah. So the fact that he's like not acting like himself is like very like tense. It's cool. I was trying to deal with like, like what would the fallout of his, of his trauma be? Yeah. When we last left him at Hogwarts, like, yeah. After the battle, he had had a pretty terrible time of it and yeah. like his you know almost died and his parents almost died and right and they were so, like shamed and yeah. his father's a death eater and and i think somebody ooh. like that mm -hmm. would would internalize a lot of that mm -hmm. so that's what i'm but we'll get a perspective shift okay soon, okay so. cool, 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 okay. cool cool i'm so excited uh he's pretty freaking attached to that statue they were your founders right mm-hmm she was a hell of a witch, and he was the nomad she fell in love with. Originally, they just wanted to teach their kids, but turns out there was a niche just waiting to be filled, so she made a sweeping gesture to the huge castle and its expansive grounds. Here we are. Ellie looked at Draco shrewdly as he stared up at Assault's mischievous smile. She was a direct descendant of Salazar Slytherin, you know. Even had his wand for a while, though she got rid of it after it betrayed her in a duel. Not quite a parcel tongue, but always had an affinity for snakes. Horned Serpent is her house. I hear Slytherin gets a bad rap on your side, but Assault was hella cool, so can't be all bad, right? Anyway, let's go in. Breckenridge will be waiting to meet you. The castle was eerily silent, the way schools on summer break tend to be, as if it were holding its breath waiting for the noisy, cheerful students to flood back in. 
Professor Breckenridge was nowhere to be seen, so they waited in the entrance hall, Ellie settling comfortably on the bottom step of a large staircase, and Draco standing rather awkwardly, not sure where to look or what to do. He looked for a moment at the dark-haired girl in her muggle clothes. He felt a twinge of sadness, remembering walking through the front door of Hogwarts for the first time each year, surrounded by friends and admirers. Now this girl was the only person he knew for thousands of miles. The Wisengamot had placed his parents on house arrest after the final battle, so they hadn't been allowed to travel with him to Massachusetts. Draco had stayed by himself at the small bed and breakfast in Ilvermorny Village last night. He hadn't wanted to finish school at all, but his mother insisted he have a proper final year, so he had chosen a school that he thought would give him relative anonymity. And yet, he'd woken up this morning to a note shoved under his door with die Death Eater scum scrawled across it in a childish, uneven hand. Draco sighed. He had been foolish to think he could escape it so easily. He looked at the girl again. At least she hadn't seemed to hate him on sight. Penny for your thoughts? Draco was surprised to find Ellie smiling at him. What's a penny? She laughed, drawing her knees up to her chest and resting her chin on them. It's a nomad coin and expression. What's up? You look lost in thought. Draco shrugged and fiddled with the hem of his left sleeve. It's nothing, he said quietly. Just feels a bit weird not being back at Hogwarts. I bet. I can't imagine doing my senior year at a different school. It'd be like starting from scratch, having to make new friends, all the classes being really different, probably. Ellie trailed off, looking suddenly embarrassed. Sorry, that's like definitely not what you need to hear right now. They lapsed into an uncomfortable silence, avoiding each other's eyes. Hey, dude, she said finally. I don't know what happened to you last year. I don't think anyone over here has the story quite straight, and the adults are being pretty tight-lipped about it. All I know is some crazy shit went down at Hogwarts, and if you need a fresh start, this is a good place. Cool? Draco looked for a moment as if he were about to speak, but before he could, a deep voice rang out above their heads. Mr. Malfoy, welcome to Ilkamoni. I see Miss Bragg has gotten you into the school in one piece, so it appears to have tired her greatly since she knows the stairs are not for lounging, and only the greatest exhaustion could have driven her to do so. Who is this person? This is the master professor Breckenridge. Oh my god, I love him. I love his like the like like Barry White voice you're giving him. I love all. Okay, you're okay. welcome for the allergies that are allowing me to speak that way. So low, so hi, low. hello, welcome to over a morning. Indeed. <laughs> they looked up. Ellie jumping to her feet with a grin and waving at a stately at the stately white-haired wizard who stood on the wooden balcony above them. Professor Breckenridge, she whispered as the headmaster continued down the stairs into the entrance hall. He pretends to be tough, but he's really a big softy. Breckenridge reached the bottom of the stairs and, clearly pretending not to have heard Ellie's last words, turned to Draco. He shook the boy's hand, ignoring Ellie's proffered high five, and swept into the center of the room. <laughs> Drago noticed for the first time a carving, a carving of a Gordian knot inlaid with gold on the granite floor. Now, the headmaster said, his dark eyes serious. I asked you to be here a day before the rest of the students, not only to get your bearings, but also to sort you into your house in private. The teachers and I agreed that perhaps being sorted with the first years was a little more attention than you might want. The student council agreed, and it was, in fact, their idea in the first place, so you're welcome. Ellie chimed in. <laughs> The student council? By the way, everybody has a student council. Oh, how American. I wanted to Americanize it. Because even American boarding schools aren't British boarding schools. No, 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 not at all. I love it. Okay. Um. Yes, thank you, Eloise. That's quite enough. As I was saying, we thought it would be best to get you housed and settled so you can join the student body as unobtrusively as possible. Sound good? Draco nodded. Excellent. Now, I know you've been sorted at Hogwarts, but the Ilvermorny ceremony is a bit different. Multiple houses might make you an offer, and you must choose which offer to accept. The houses here represent the different aspects of every witch or wizard. The mind, the body, the heart, and the soul. The serpent loves scholars, the wampus warriors, the pakwaji healers, and the thunderbird adventurers. Some students show a strong affinity for just one, but most get offers from several. Occasionally, a student will have to choose from among all four. Ultimately, however, we try to stress school unity here. Your house is a great source of community, but we don't keep to our houses at the expense of fostering the student body at large. I really like that philosophy. 
That's way different than Hogwarts. Hogwarts could have used a little more of that, right? I'm with you on that. Yeah. I also really like the Ilvermorny sorting that the students get a choice. Yeah. If they're made several offers. Uh, it also is a little bit like pledging to mm-hmm. like fraternities. It's very a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. As Professor Breckenridge spoke, Draco began to feel slightly sick. He looked around at the great wooden carvings of the magical beasts that stood imperiously at each point of the compass. At Hogwarts, an impartial third party told you where you'd fit in best. Here, the house itself had to accept you. He wasn't a scholar or a warrior or a healer. And an adventurer? That sounded a little too much like where dwell the brave at heart, and he certainly was no Gryffindor. What had he ever been good at, aside from getting his way? He tugged again at his left sleeve, miserable. Whenever you're ready, Mr. Malfoy. The sun shone through the glass-domed roof of the entrance hall. Draco raised his chin defiantly and strode to the center of the knot with all the haughtiness he could muster. So what if the carvings didn't move an inch? He'd leave the second-rate school and head back to England. He stared at the knot on the floor, following its golden ropes as they looped back and forth, refusing to look up at the carvings. He didn't belong here anyway. So intent was he on this thought that he didn't notice the great thunderbird flap its wings until he heard Ellie let out an undignified whoop. Startled, he glanced up to see that the serpent's horn was also emitting a gentle glow. He looked back and forth between the two, frozen to the spot, until he felt a hand on his shoulder. Professor Breckenridge stood by his side, his dark eyes looking steadily into Draco's pale ones. Two fine offers, and now the choice is yours. Uh, so, okay, so they, this is like the magical part of it. They stand in front of the statues and the statues pick them and then they get yeah. to decide. So they stand in a Gordian knot at the center of the floor uh, okay, and okay. they are surrounded by all four statues. And so cool. if the Thunderbird flaps its wings, the Horn Serpent lights up its horn, the Pukwudgie raises a bow and arrow and oh. um, the Wampus Cat roars oh. if, they, if they're making you an offer. I, what did you end up being? I'm sorry to interrupt this because this is wonderful and I want to find out what Draco picks. But what did you end up being? In my Elfamorny quiz? Yes. Oh, I was Thunderbird. Okay. I was the Wampus. Interesting. Which I think maybe is equivalent to Hufflepuff because I'm a Hufflepuff. Well, weirdly, I I don't know because some of them don't have direct equivalents. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Wampus cat is like for fierce warriors. Ooh. Yeah. I would say the Puckwudgie is maybe a little more. But Gryffindor is also for fierce warriors. Right. If you think and also, about it. I feel like Thunderbird and Wampus cat could either of those could be sort of mistaken for Gryffindor. Mm, okay. Um, because Thunderbird is adventurers and yeah. Wampus is warriors. Okay. Okay. Um. I mean, a horned serpent is a pretty direct equivalent, I think, to Ravenclaw, but there's no real like Slytherin equivalent. Oh. Or, so it's the houses that they are a little different. I like that. In there. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. What a world. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Draco looked at the horned serpent, remembering the ornate S of the Slytherin crest. Then he looked back to the Thunderbird, catching Ellie's eye as she winked elaborately and gave him a thumbs up. Before he could change his mind, he mumbled Thunderbird and hurried over to the wall, staring determinedly down at the floor. He wasn't sure what had made him choose, except that he thought perhaps he'd had enough of snakes. I love it! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, Draco. I know. You, you up and down, man. I know. Or boy, he's a boy Boy, here, but but still, you know, I just... mm. Trembling on the brink of manhood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh, boy. Good stuff. All right. What happens next? What happens next? Unless you have a question. Oh, no. I just wanted to say it's really interesting because J.K. Rowling has spoken about the sort of fetishization of Draco Malfoy that has happened with her female fans. And she hates it. Why? Well, she's like... He's not a good person, guys. Like, yeah, I mean, he's pretty uh, terrible. Also, the fetishization of any of these children. Yeah, right. And, and I think particularly, I mean, not so much like older people fetishizing the kids as like young girls being like, "Ooh, Draco," is like problematic for her because she's like, he's like this whole thing about like girls liking bad boys is yeah. really like pretty also, terrible. Tom Felton is a very handsome young he's man. Very handsome, and also they're she, our age, aren't they? I think yeah, so. I think they're like a couple years younger. They're pretty close to our no, age. No, I think because I think Emma Watson is 30, so okay. or close then, to 30. Then we can say that Tom Felden is a hottie with a naughty He's body. A hottie with a- <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that phrase before. I love it so much. Okay, so 
Tom I'm Felton are hottie with the naughty body. Never heard me say hottie. Never, with the and I am. It's amazing. <laughs> so I love it. Um, so Tom Felton, our our um, pale hottie with a naughty yes. body, uh, so pale and sickly. I feel like, but I feel like they weren't the the those stars didn't really become icons until they were like 18 17 18 yeah for sure so um, you know okay. I guess but I'm I think, okay with it because I'm their age so I'm allowed she also did I mean she decry as much as you want people falling for Draco mm-hmm. um I I will say that she made him and purposefully like very sympathetic not in the first but starting with the sixth book really you like yeah you, you, he she, has he has redemption. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's not entirely redeemed. I mean, certainly in Cursed Child, there's a little more of a redemption arc for him. Yes. Um, and, you know, we all know my thoughts on Cursed Child. Yes. Mm, I terrible. hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I do think that, you know, she didn't make him a vision really have. I mean, I, I think the least sympathetic villain is not even Voldemort in those stories. It's Umbridge. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because Voldemort comes from like a um, abusive background yeah, and is essentially an brainwashed story. and probably has some kind of mental illness. Umbridge is really the dictator. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting to, to set that character up and then get mad when your fans fall in love with him because mm. well, maybe she didn't realize him. she was doing it. You yeah. know, we we map sometimes we map our characters off. Well, of and I think that what she said, and, too, is is like, you know, he, he does have redeeming qualities, but overall, like he is not a good person. No, does really he, terrible his things. actions are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've certainly made him more sympathetic in this story than he is in the books. Okay. But I want to I, I believe it, though. I think he has room for that. Yeah. Particularly after what so. he's gone through. You know, changes people. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So right. what happens next Hear to me. Draco oh. and Ellie? That evening, broomstick in hand, Ellie hurried down the stairs from her dorm room. She had spent most of the afternoon giving Draco a tour of the castle, babbling on as he remained largely silent and now she was hoping to get to the Quidditch pitch before it got entirely dark. She was so focused she almost didn't see Draco sitting in one of the large armchairs in the common room, staring blankly at a note in his lap and rubbing his left wrist. She was tempted to hurry by and leave him lost in thought, but Breckenridge had specifically asked her to keep an eye on him. She sighed. You okay? He glanced up at her, hurriedly shoving shoving the note in the pocket of his robes. Yeah, sure, I'm fine. Eyeing her broomstick, he added, You going flying? Yeah, first practice later this week, and I haven't been keeping up with training this summer. You play? Want to come? For the first time since she'd met him, Draco looked mildly enthusiastic. Yeah, all right. Be right back. He leapt up and ran up the stairs to his room. As he went, the note fluttered out of his pocket and to the floor. Ellie picked it up. Die, Death Eater scum. She turned it over. Nothing. Just those four handwritten words. Who was this kid? She didn't notice Draco return until he stood beside her clutching his broomstick. He stared at her intently, not angry, but guarded, waiting for her to react. She held up the note. Is this about you? Yes. Were you a Death Eater? Yes. Sort of. It was complicated. Why do you keep rubbing your left arm? Draco hesitated, then pulled up his left sleeve, revealing the ugly skull emblazoned on his forearm. That doesn't look very complicated. It wasn't at the time. Now it is. Does Breckenridge know? Of course. I had to jump through all sorts of hoops to even leave the country. An interview with him, testimony from McGonagall and Potter, and the head of the magical law enforcement. You know Harry Potter? We're not close. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Look, when it came down to it, anyone on my side would have killed me to get ahead. And the other side saved my life. Twice. I thought we were fighting for a cause, but when you look around you and you see that the people on your side are all monsters, you have to wonder how just that cause can really be. Yeah. Well, I guess if Breckenridge okayed you. But you know I'm a mudblood, right? Draco looked at her in surprise. We don't really have that word here. No one cares much at Elvermorny. But I know what it means, and the minute I hear it come out of your mouth, I will punch you in your pointy chin, got it? To her surprise, Draco grinned. What? Nothing. Sorry. It's just that you wouldn't be the first girl with skinny arms to punch me in the face. It's a threat I've learned to take rather seriously. Well, good. 
Now let's go take it out on some bludgers. Yeah, fun callback to him getting punched by Hermione. Favorite part of the books is uh, him getting punched by Hermione. I lo- <laughs> I really like, okay, that was really good. I enjoyed that. I'm glad that she's a mudblood. I love all these things. Yeah. Love it. Hours later, exhausted from flying, Draco and Ellie made their way back up to the school. As they climbed the steps past the smiling James and Assault, Ellie turned to Draco. You fly well, you know. Thanks. So do you. And you said you were a seeker for Slytherin, right? Yeah, though I didn't play last year. So you'll try out then. Draco didn't answer, so she barreled on. You're good. You have experience. We desperately need a good seeker, so you basically have to. I'm... I'll think about it. You're not scared, are you? I'm not scared. The quickest way to get a man to do something. Oh, Oh, right. Oh, my God. So easy. (laughs) What are you, scared? Are you afraid? Are you a coward? (laughs) (laughs) So fun to manipulate that. I love it. Well, then, Ellie continued to needle him as they made their way through the main entrance hall and up the stairs. In the first floor corridor, they passed a small, middle-aged witch lugging a satchel full of books. Ellie paused and greeted her with a smile. Hey, Professor Trimble, need help with that? Professor Trimble blinked at her, seemingly surprised at being addressed at all, then smiled wanly. No, dear. It's Ellie, right? Anyway, I've got it. I've got it. I'm nearly there. Exercise is good for a woman of my age. Ellie turned to Draco. Draco, meet Professor Trimble. She's new this year as well, and also from across the pond. We're having a real British invasion here. Should have been one if by land, two if by sea, three if by flu powder. Am I right? Oh my God, that joke is so good. So uh, bad. <laughs> 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 they both stared at it for a moment. Then Trimble gave another weak smile. Ah, yes, George Washington. Very good. Nice to meet you, dear. She added, turning to Draco. I'd shake your hand, but mine are a bit full at the moment. Nice... Nice to meet you as well, Professor. Didn't I see you at the Ilvermorny Inn? Oh, very possible, dear. I've been staying there while I prepare my rooms. The professor I'm replacing seems to have gone a bit odd towards the end, decided to protect his research with a few well-placed curses, one of which nearly got the better of me earlier this week. So Professor Breckenridge thought it would be safer if I stayed away until the room could be completely cleared. Oh, yeah, Professor Doreen. One of those curses got him in the end. I guess they aren't great protection if you forget what you place them on. Indeed. Well, I'm off, dears. Hope to see you in class. With that, she continued on. What does she teach? Draco asked quietly, staring after her. She looks sort of familiar. Nomad studies. Although, I'm not sure how good she'll be. That was a Paul Revere joke. Anyway, it's a Makusa-mandated class ever since they lifted Rappaport's law in the 60s, but it seems to attract the oddest teachers. Her first name is Prudence, you know. What kind of a name is Prudence? Oh, my God. There's so much here. <laughs> I know. There's so much here. Uh, the Paul Revere reference, the historical accuracy, the the fake nomad laws that I'm sure you totally pulled from Wikipedia. Oh, no. Those are, this yeah, they're layered. real. So just background, Makusa is the Senate. It's yeah, the, yeah, the American yeah. equivalent of... Um, the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rappaport's law was a wizarding law that forbade the intermarriage um, and like any socialization, so socialization of wizards and um, no matches. No matches in American right. vernacular. Sorry. Sorry. Um, there's a whole fascinating story behind it. And it was caused by a woman named Dorcas. Oh, I love that. Um, oh, God, I gotta go them? back and read all this over morning stuff. Oh, yeah. Really, so, yeah. I think there's been like a lot more since it first came out because there's just like pages and pages of oh, cool, like cool, history cool. of American wizarding. But it was lifted in the 60s. And part of my like aesthetic is the wrong word, but like the way that I sort of framed over morning was that since there had almost been like an overcorrection. So I feel like the, the students at over morning actually like are very immersed in muggle culture. Ah, uh, okay, cool. Um, or at least my character is, but part of which be, is because she has muggle. She comes from a muggle family. Right, right, um, right. But I think much more so than at Hogwarts. There's okay. not so much of a separation. Yeah, I like that. Her first name is Prudence, you know. What kind of a name is Prudence? You have to take it, too. Even though you're, you know, muggle-born. Everyone has to. Who am I to say no to an easy A? And say no, Madger. Everyone will think you're a total snob. 
Amazing. And a part one. And a part one. Oh my God, there's so many things. Okay, well, I'm going to, can I make a guess? Can I make a, like, maybe it's a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing that Prudence is a bad guy and that she I mean, slipped the note. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very, like, Rolian. Like, you definitely are doing, you're following that, like, arc. Yeah, it's hard because, um, with again with a short story uh-huh. there's not enough time to introduce enough other characters to really do any to sort do of like a red heron. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah no i lo- but i still love it and i like as even though i i kind of saw that i got super excited by it i was like i can't wait to see how this happens well so i, I don't actually mind. there's the reveal of like motivation right. and background and i all don't mind the spoiler because i think that the the motivation will be a twist Ooh, it's a twist. i'm so excited oh my god so you wrote a mystery a little bit, yeah. I tried anyway. I'm I, not, I, um, it sounds like it. I mean, of course, I'm modeling this after like one of the great mystery writers of our time, which right, I, I think mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling is. I agree. I totally agree. I think she's fucking. Um, yes. Every Harry Potter book is a mystery novel. Yes. Yes. And, and then her also other books, the Robert Galbraith, books exactly. Are, yeah. 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 Um, those but, are phenomenal mysteries as well. <sighs> she's just got like a yeah. She's I reread um, Order of the Phoenix or not Order of the Phoenix. I'm sorry. Uh, but, 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 the Triwizard Tournament, the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Yeah. And I had forgotten what a fucking great twist that is at the end. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, do, do we care if I spoil I'm not going to spoil no, it. If you're listening to this and you haven't read Harry Potter, stop what you're doing and go read them. But um, <laughs> yeah, the whole like Barty Crouch's son is just like you, you know, once you get there, you're like, Barty Crouch's oh, son, the end of the tournament and then Cedric dying. Like, like yeah. it all happens like boom, 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 boom. And, and then it makes so much Alistair sense. Moody not being Alistair Moody. And oh you're just like, oh my God, he's been setting this up all along. It's just like, it's so well done. And the way it pulls <sighs> yeah. together, like, uh, what a dream to be able to write like that. I know. I know. I lo- I'm obsessed with it. I love it. And, and I, I would can't. just like to say that would... that is not what this story is. No, no, no. <laughs> but I, that for me. Uh, but, but I love, yeah. Oh, she's just like, I mean, she, for all of her you know, blind spots and, and, you know, and I think it's okay to critique the things that you love, but boy, there is a reason that we love her. Yes. Oh my, no, I think she's a phenomenal writer. writer. Yeah. You can be a phenomenal writer who's, who's misinformed. I mean, Ernest Hemingway exists, you know, Norman existed. Exactly. Yes. Look at all the men who wrote in the last hundred years. (laughs) Look at all the men, just pick a man. And if he wrote then, or I should say a white man, pick a white man. If he wrote a book, he probably was misinformed about a lot of things. Yeah. Just read the women's character lines. Or, Look for any women's character lives. Or look for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or look for a description of them that isn't sexual. (sighs) (laughs) You're like thinking, like, one day there'll be a time when a woman is described without talking about her body. Yeah. Her figure. Her figure. Anyway. She was sexy, but she didn't know it. Yeah. Anyway. So I am okay. So I'm very, very, very excited for the second part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay. Well, we're gonna come back um, in our next two episodes, and we're gonna do the second half of Liz's story because we couldn't do Harry Potter just the once. We had to. No. We overdid it. Let's we're overachievers. We're. No, I, don't we're think, you know. I think we did it exactly right. I don't think we overdid it. I think we just did it. We did it. We're the Hermione of this podcast. We, we are. <laughs> We really, we are the collective Hermione of this podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> you can follow us with at World Stealers, and that's on both Instagram and Twitter. Correct. Um, you can email us uh, at info at morebanana.com, or you can go to morebanana.com and check out our stuff and check out the other shows. Um, and, you know, if you want to... If you want to subscribe and like give us a little review on iTunes, that's always we would love super that. helpful. We will also be posting our fan fictions as always on fanfiction.net yes. and archive of their own. Yes. Yeah. So you can check them out there. Yeah. Our uh, fan fictions will be posted under World Stealers. Indeed. So just Google that. And if you have written a fan fiction and you want us to read it, we Whoop. might not, but we'd we love might. to. We, we might. might. Email it to We're us. We're open to the idea. You know what? Email it to us. Email it to us. We'll see. We'd we love to give you a shout. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye, guys.